Well, good morning, Rivertown Community Church. I want to welcome all of our campuses this morning, our Bluntstown, Chipley, Wakala, and Mariana campus. Uh, this weekend, we're in our second week of our series entitled Four. And uh, last week, we started this series. And, and one of the reasons we said last week that this series is so important for us at the beginning of 2018 is we believe that this four-week sermon series is going to set kind of the attitude and the course of this church for the future. Because one of the things we know, our culture is changing, and so we believe that God is asking us to shift a little bit in the way that we carry out the mission that God has given us. Our mission's not changing, but there's some things that we feel like God is calling us to shift as we move forward into 2018. So if you missed last week, as Kenny said, or as your host said on your campus, um, you, you might want to go back and listen to that talk because it really sets the foundation for this series. And you can do that on the RCC app or you can do that on the RCC website. Now, one of the things I said last week is this. 24 years ago when, uh, we started, when I started pastoring this church, it's a little over 24 years, almost 25 now, uh, we worked really hard to create a culture that says everyone is welcome to our church. But as we're starting to move into this season, we no longer think that just welcome to church is enough. And here's why. Because for far too long now in our culture, our churches become known for what they're against. Not just RCC Church, but churches in general in America. For far too long, churches have become known for what they're against. In fact, quite often what happens is churches will have a sign, something like this outside that says, welcome to church. We're kind of glad you're here. But then you walk in the door and you feel like they should have a sign that says, listen, welcome if you look like us, if you think like us, if you believe like us, if you act like us. And because that is the perception of most people, and it's been the perception for a long time in our country, and, and most of us not even realize that, most people don't even have an interest in attending church. Now, as we said last week, years ago when I started pastoring, one of the things that we did is, is we wanted to make sure that when we said welcome to people, that we were giving a sign that was very clear and very honest. So we work really hard to create a welcoming culture, to be a culture that says everybody is welcome at Rivertown Community Church. In fact, oftentimes if you ever hear me tell the story of Rivertown Community Church, we talk about this, that we spent like the first seven years asking God to help us understand what the church is supposed to be about. And from really studying the words of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus, and then looking at the writings of the apostles in the New Testament, it became very clear that we should be a church that is welcoming for everyone. And, and I feel like we've done a pretty good job of, of creating that kind of culture, that we, the church, should be known for who and what we are for, not what we are against, which is what that means for us is this, a church for everyone has to be full of people for everyone. And you could also say it this way, a church for everyone cannot be against anyone. And you know, what that does is that really messes up with some of us as Christ followers, because as Christ followers, whenever our faith kind of collides with culture, we're like, oh yeah, but what about this group, or what about this, or what about this? And as we go through this series, and, and I just want to say this, and on March the 3rd, you might want to write this down, March the 3rd, 
We do two workshops a year for all of our small group leaders, for adults, for uh, children, and for students. And, and this year, I just said, you know, we need to open this up more to anybody who serves, and, and, and especially with what we're talking about this four series. Because on March the 3rd, I'm gonna spend, we're going to like, do like a workshop on all of our campuses from 830 to 11, and, and we're going to help you understand how that you can be for everyone. We're going to take and look at the theological, we call it theopraxis, is taking theology and practice and put it together and go, Here, here's how you can be for everyone. Because we've worked really hard to create a culture of a church that says everybody's welcome. Which means this, it doesn't matter if you're young or you're old, if you're single, if you're married, if you consider yourself to be rich, if you don't consider yourself not to be rich, it doesn't matter what kind of car you drive or where you live, it doesn't matter what your past is like, it doesn't matter what mistakes that you made, whatever kind of sins you committed, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're like big or small or strong or weak, any of those things. It doesn't matter if you have like external struggles or internal struggles. We have worked hard to create a culture that says you are welcome, which means this, that welcome was a great place for us to start and it was a great culture to create over the last 24 years. But we believe in this season, I'm gonna show you why. We believe in this season that four is better. Because when you really stop and you think about it, our vision, our vision and our mission, it's always been for people. Because here's why, God is for everyone. Therefore, we are for everyone. So today, to kind of continue our conversation for why we believe in this season four is better, I just wanna begin with this question here. Here's the question. What do we want to be known for? Now, that's a great question for any group of people. I mean, if you're a business person here today, I mean, that's a great question for you to ask your team. I mean, it's a great question for you to ask your customers to see if you're, they're experiencing what you want them to experience. And it's a, great, it's a great question if you're any kind of organization, whether that's a school or some other kind of organization that's out there. But it's especially a great question for us individually. And it's even a better question for us as a church. And that is this, what do we want to be known for? Now, to help us answer this question, and to remind us why four is so important, it's kind of helpful to kind of step outside of an organization sometimes and get perspective in terms of what a business that you might be in, organization, or what the church is currently known for. So let's just take the church, because we're talking about church this morning. Let's take the church in, in America in general. So what is the church currently known for in America? Not just one church, but all the churches. Now, there's a lot of answers to that, but let's think about it from the perspective of someone who doesn't attend church, who doesn't really care much about the church. What would their answer be that the church is known for? Now, here's the thing. We know what their answer would be because there's a lot of research and there's a lot of studies that have been out there to show how people think about the church. And you know, if you took all of those answers and all that research and you just kind of boiled it down to kind of like a single feeling or kind of a, several big ideas, what most people express who do not attend church or have no interest in the church is they say something like this. This is one of the big statements. Why do Christians hate us so much? Why do Christians, see, we don't go through our life thinking about that, but there are so many in our people in our communities in our neighborhoods, that when they hear the word Christian, they go, oh yeah, they just hate everybody. And it's like some people said in, in the surveys and the research, it just seems like Christians are always mad at everybody. They're just mad at the world and, and they're mad at each other. 
They just seem so negative and so unhappy. And, and most people are like, we just have no desire to be like them or to stay upset all the time. In fact, one of the six most common misperceptions about the church among like what we call the post-Christian 20 and 30-year-old, this is the statement. This is like their top six replies on their thoughts about the church, and that is this, that the church is an organized religion with a political agenda. The church is full of judgmental and negative hypocrites. The church is dominated by males and oppresses females. The church is homophobic. The church is arrogant and claims all other religions are wrong, and the church is full of extremists who take the whole Bible literally. Now, when, when you take all of the feedback, and I understand that we're generalizing here, but I want you to think about this, fo this following statement as maybe a good one to consider when it comes to what maybe our neighbors, our community, what unchurched people feel about the church based on what research and studies and their feedback has shown, and that is this. Most people are more familiar with what the church is against rather than what the church is for. And if this is true, and we think it is, it's why we're doing this sermon series, it's no wonder why so many people, and, and they're not just not interested in attending a church, but they're not interested or even open to hearing the gospel message because they don't believe that God is for them. See, see, in most people's minds, here's kind of how it works. Church isn't for them because the church isn't for them. For, for example, let, let's take this guy right here on the couch, okay? Church, church isn't like even on his radar screen. I mean, this, is, this represents so many people in our community and our culture. I mean, church isn't even like, when he thinks of Sunday, he doesn't even think of church. And then while it's not about like church attendance only, the thing that we're discussing today is it is about us fulfilling the calling that we've been given as a church to reach this guy and all the people that he represents with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And, and here's what makes this so personal for all of us. This guy right here on the couch, he, he's not just some random guy out there. If you really think about it, he, he's like your brother that you've been praying for, your father that you're praying for, your son, your, your grandson, a coworker, a neighbor, a friend, or maybe a classmate in school. So, so our goal with the four initiative, it really is this. It's to shrink the gap between this guy on the couch and his relationship with God. And the question is, how do we do that? Well, the first thing we say is, we wanna to continue to do part of what we've done for the last 24 years. We wanna to continue to partner with the Holy Spirit to create a church that this guy right here would feel welcome to and he would love to attend. And, and here's the thing, we're not just talking about this guy or guys, okay? Because yes, it is men, but it's women, it's couples, it's singles, it's children, it's students. It is everyone. See, we want to shrink the gap, but we feel that to shrink the gap, I mean, we, we got to change some things that we're doing, and we feel like that God is calling us to be more intentional about making sure that everyone in our communities know that we are for them. So the question is this, how do we do this? 
Because based on what people in our culture think of churches and based on what people in our culture think of Christians, we have a lot of gap to shrink. If they're ever going to feel like that we as Christ followers, if the church, that the church is for them. Now, here's the good news. This is, this is the good news. We're not the first ones to wonder how to shrink this gap. In fact, the early church, if you go back and you study the early church, you understand that they struggled with this as well. So, so there's a lot of debate in the early church when you go right back and read the book of Acts about how, you know, how do you shrink this gap? Here, here's how this debate happened. So a little over 2,000 years ago, there was this handful of people, they poured out into the streets of Jerusalem. You can read this in like Acts chapter 2. They poured out in the streets of Jerusalem about two months after the resurrection of Jesus. And here's what they said. They said, Jesus was crucified, he rose from the dead, and we are eyewitnesses to a resurrected Savior. And all of a sudden, there was this movement that was started in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And this new movement, the church, it didn't just stay in Jerusalem. It quickly, it began to move and it spread to what was then was the rest of the known world. And so the church was a movement on the move. It was a movement that was for people. Now, one of the primary people that was behind this movement, that was really a catalyst behind this movement, was a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul. And so he's out here, he's traveling around the Mediterranean, and he begins to plant churches. Now, while the Apostle Paul is leading this church planting movement out here around the Mediterranean, back over here in Jerusalem, where all of this started, this church movement started, there's this huge controversy that was causing great tension in the church. In fact, all the Gentile believers in the churches that the Apostle Paul has started out here around in the Mediterranean area, they found themselves as a primary target of the controversy in the church that was in Jerusalem. And the key word that the Gentiles found themselves was a target of the controversy. Now, that's important for us to say, because that is exactly, when you look at the studies and the research and the feedback from people in America, and what they think of the church. That is exactly what people in our culture feel about the church. They feel like that they are a target of Christians. Instead of feeling like that Christ followers are for them, they feel like they're the target of condemnation. They feel like they're the target of a judgmental spirit of Christians or the Christian church. So you got the apostle Paul out here, and he's going around telling all these people where he's planting churches that God is for them, that God is for them so much so that Jesus died for the sins, that they can have peace with God through grace and the forgiveness of Jesus. They can have a relationship with God because God is for them. But the church leaders back over here in Jerusalem, I mean, it is all about exactly who is Jesus really for? Well, was he for the Jews was he for the Gentiles? Was he for a certain kind or group of people? Or is he for everyone? And so the Jewish, the leaders in Jerusalem, they're sitting over here going, ah, oh, we don't think it's just as simple as forgiveness and grace. I mean, they started going, you know, we think you have to become like a Jewish person before you can really follow Jesus and, and gain forgiveness and grace. Because in their minds, it's like, man, there's like the Ten Commandments. And, and there's like 600 more laws. And, and we'll look at that in just a moment. They're going, you know, there's all these 600 plus laws. There, there's the commands of God. 
And so they're saying these Jewish leaders back in Jerusalem, they're going, you know, you got to keep all these laws. And with these laws, I mean, there comes all this lifestyle changes that you have to make. And in all reality, they were basically saying, listen, if you're going to be a Christian, you have to look like them. You have to act like them. You have to become like them. You have to behave like them in order to be a Christian. Now, when you really stop and think about it, that same kind of mindset is happening in the church in 21st century America all the time. That same kind of thinking. I mean, it's said this way in 21st century. Yes, God is for you. You're saved by God's forgiveness and grace. But, but, but here's the thing. There's truth. There are moral imperatives that are part of Christianity. There's right and there's wrong. I mean, there's here's what you have to do and here's what you shouldn't do. It's all about, and, and people say this trying to you know, defend the faith. They go, it's all about the truth of the gospel and being obedient. So what it kind of sounds like for most Christians today is this. You know, to the world around them, based on the research, you know, we want God, you to know that God is for you, but before, you know, we can really be for you or before God can really be for you or you can really be part of this church family, here's what you have to do. You gotta act like us, you gotta live like us, you gotta believe like us, you gotta think like us. So the early church, they're wrestling with the same thing in first century that we're wrestling with in 21st century. And then in Acts chapter 15, all of this comes to a head. So if you got your Bibles, go with me to Acts chapter 15, or you can follow along in the notes that were there, or you can follow along on the screen here. Because I want you to notice what happens and the conclusion of this matter. Acts chapter 15, we're gonna begin in verse five, here's what it says. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees. Now, I'm gonna tell you something. This, this is really important because if you were with us last week, we talked about this group called the Pharisees because they were the group of people who believed that they set the standard of what holiness looked like, what righteousness looked like for the rest of the people because the Pharisees, they believed that their good works and their good deeds were so good that it put them in right standing with God. But they really didn't understand pure holiness. They didn't understand how that their good deeds didn't even come close to measuring up to God's pure holiness, which is why they didn't understand Jesus, and it's why they couldn't understand how Jesus could be for everyone even the people they called sinners. In fact, these became the Pharisees. They became the group that put Jesus to death. Now, here's what happens. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, they're having this big debate in Jerusalem, stood up and said, the Gentiles, get this, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Interpreted the Gentiles, in order to be followers of Christ, they have to keep the law of Moses, 600 plus laws, and all the males have to have surgery. So here's what they're basically saying to the Apostle Paul. We want you to go back to all those cities where you have all these new believers and tell them they have to change their entire lifestyle so that they're keeping all the 600 plus laws of Moses, most of them have to go have surgery in order to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Literally like, they, they have to eat differently, they have to dress differently, they have to live differently, I mean they have to act differently. 
And you know, when we read this, we think, that is just insane that somebody would think that. But you know, if you've been in church for years, that this way of thinking, this is kind of the natural gravitational pull for all of us. I and mean, we start going, well, you need to be doing this, you need to do this, and we just keep adding and adding. And here's the thing. We think we're so open-minded. And then somebody comes along, and, and, and their version of Christianity doesn't fit our version. They don't dress like we do. They don't school their kids like we do. They don't eat like we do. They don't live by the same standards we do. And we become a little pharisaical. We become judgmental. In fact, here's what we do. We go post our opinions all over social media so everybody will know how committed we are to righteousness. And that what happens? I mean, it's like, we even post blogs and we post all kinds of opinions out there about our opinions about other people and how they're living or other groups and what their beliefs are so that everybody will know that we are committed to righteousness because we want everybody to know who and what we're against and we want everybody to know who is not committed to righteousness. You know what's interesting? That was happening in first century as well. I mean, the church is like this brand new movement that's supposed to be for everyone. Because Jesus, he came, he lived, he died, he rose again for everyone. And all of a sudden, they got this huge debate about really, who is Jesus for? Well, notice what happens. Go down to verse 7. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. All these people, this big council they're having. Here's what he says. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He, referring to God, made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now, please don't miss what the apostle Peter is saying here. He's saying, listen, God knows the heart and God purifies their heart before all the habits and all the issues are worked through. And and that is so important for all of us. Because here's literally what he's saying. God who knows your heart, he's basically saying God can purify your heart before you can purify your life. God can purify your heart before you drop that habit. God can purify your heart before you you can fix your marriage. And God can purify your heart before you finally own up to the fact to yourself and to other people that you have some nasty habits in your life that you are ashamed of and that you've been hiding for years. And here's why this is so important for us. If God can do that for you, he can do that for the people around you. And so he asks this question. He says, listen, if God can purify your hearts and our hearts before we've even got our act together, here's what he says. Here's the question. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? I mean, literally he's saying, listen, for those of you that call yourselves Christ followers, why are you trying to hold others to a standard that our generation hasn't been able to hold, nor has the previous generation been able 
to uphold. Why, why are you trying to do that? None of us have been able to do that. I mean, he's saying things like this. You know, you don't have a perfect marriage. You don't treat your spouse right all the time. I mean, you don't love others like Christ called us to love all the time. You don't forgive as Christ told us to forgive. I mean, you got some nasty habits. You got some impurities in your life. And he's even being, in the first century, he'd be saying, and, and you don't even keep the 600 plus laws. But you're trying to say they have to do that. And then he goes on. He says, no, we don't even believe that's how we become followers of Christ. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. And when Peter gets up and makes this big proclamation, it gives some of the other guys in that group some courage. So James stands up. And James makes like this most extraordinary kind of statement. Now remember, James is the brother of Jesus. Notice what James says. It is my judgment. Literally, he's saying, here's the conclusion of the matter. I've been listening. I've heard all the debate. Here's what we're going to decide. Here's what he says. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Literally, we should not make it difficult for people to shrink the gap between them and God. Literally, he's saying, anything that makes it difficult for people who are turning to God, we should remove it if we can. Because this movement, the church, is about people turning to God. Now, let's go back to this guy here on the couch. What we've been called to do as a church, and what James says in Acts chapter 15, verse 19, is to not make it difficult for this guy to turn to God. And the question is how? How do you create a church that this guy on the couch who has no interest in church and no interest in God, how do you create a church that he would even be possibly remotely interested in attending or participating in? How do you connect with this person on the couch who has no interest and maybe has already said no to the church and no to God? Well, it goes back to this question right here. What do we want to be known for? What do we want to be known for? Well, here, here's our answer. We, we want to be known as a church that welcomes everyone, but more than that, we want to be known as a church that is for everyone. Which means this, and don't, don't miss what I'm saying here. Which means that we have to let our communities know that we are for our schools. And when you go on social media, and you bash the leaders of the schools and the teachers and the staff, and you tell all your friends and you say all this stuff, nobody at the school believes you're for them. It means that we gotta let the businesses in our community know that we are for them. And when you go on social media and you say your piece because somebody on, and that was working in that business was having a bad day and, and you think you're so grand and glorious that everybody should bow down and wash your feet and worship you when you come in and buy something at their store and you bash them, they never once believe that you're for them. See, see it's like... You, you can say something nice about somebody one time, but I'm telling you if, you, if you say something against somebody, it could take years for that to go away. Because, I mean, somebody says something nice about you, and then somebody says something mean about you, which one do you remember the longest? See, 
We want to be known as a church that is for our schools. We, we want to be known as a church that is for our businesses, a church that is for our communities, for the adults, for the students, for the children. See, we, we want to be known because of all the different four different locations we have that we, we're a church like that is for Calhoun and Liberty County, for Washington and Holmes County, for Wakulla and for Jackson County. And we want people to understand the reason we're for people is because God is for them. Remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, verse 10? Here's what he said. For the Son of Man, referring to Jesus, came to seek and to save what was lost. And, and this word lost right here is a very important word because it communicates something very important. And here's what it communicates. Everyone is valuable. Because see, only things that are valuable get lost. I mean, you never say that you lose things that really don't matter to you. You say, oh, I misplaced that. You know, I don't know where it's at. You know, you even throw away things that you don't care about. But you say things that matter to you are lost. And Jesus came to seek and to save everyone that was lost. And everyone that was lost is everyone that has ever lived. So everyone has value to God and therefore they should have value to us. And some of you, you remember what it was like to come to the realization that God was for you because there was a group of people who let you know that they were for you and you really believe that. And see, God not only wants that for you, he wants that for everyone. He wants everyone to have the opportunity to understand that God is really for them. Because we believe that so deeply as a church, last week we, we launched this whole initiative called FOUR. Because we want people in our communities to know that we are for them so that they can then make the connection that God is for them. And so to help the people in our communities understand we're for them, we're going to do three things. And we're going to keep coming back to these all year long to kind of remind you, okay, of the three things that we need to do. You might want to write these down because we want you to begin this journey with us this week. Here's what we need to do. To help our communities understand that we are for them, we need to create common ground we need to create conversations, and we need to create connections. And we say these three things because all of this is designed with living out what Acts chapter 15, 19 says. That we are for. We should not make it difficult. See, we want to do everything we can to make it easy, an easy thing for those who are on the couch this morning that are not even receptive to God, but we want them to become receptive to God. So, so how do we help them turn to God? Well, to help our communities know that we are for them, the first thing we want to do is create common ground. See, for most people who don't go to church, now, if you don't think about this, you, you don't understand this. But for most people who don't go to church, they don't go to church because they don't believe they have anything in common with the people who go to church. And you go, oh, well, they work with me and they talk to me and all those kind of things. Yeah, they do. But then they look at you with suspicion, going, yeah, you want them church people. There's something, you know, you got something weird hidden there. You know, you just kind of, because they kind of put it, because they don't believe they have anything in common with people who go to church. And, and the result of this perception is they don't believe that we share any common ground. And here's the reality, when you really stop and think about this, it couldn't be further for the truth because, see, we have so much in common with the people that we live with in our communities. 
See, we live in the same community they do, and we want our communities to be great just like they want their communities to be great. So we have that in common. That is why we're going to do everything we can to make people aware of the common ground that we have by making you aware of like community events and, and to get you out in the community to attend those events and to serve at those events and to promote those events. It's why we're going to like promote businesses. You're going to see this if you've been watching our social media. It's why you're going to see us, excuse me. It's why you're going to see us like promoting businesses and organizations on social media because it's like we are for and we want our communities to know that we're for. It's why we're in the process of creating a Facebook page for each of our four different campuses because we want to give you like relevant opportunities to serve and engage in your community and promote the businesses and the organizations in your community. In fact, if you watch the social media, we did that with a business and in one or two businesses in different communities this week and different organizations in different communities this week. And what you'll also notice about our social media is we will be posting a lot less about what we're doing and more about how you can engage in the community and what the community's doing. And here's the thing, as you see those, those are opportunities. Make sure that you promote them. Make sure that you engage in them. Make sure you serve in them. Because we want our communities to know that we are for them. And then the other thing we're doing, another thing we're doing, just to kind of help with this, is we're creating these shirts. I think this is one that's a Wakala shirt because Wakala is like our newest campus. But basically, these T-shirts are also, when you go and serve, it is a way for people to see this and all of a sudden they're going, we're for Jackson County, we're for Wakala County, we're for Calhoun Liberty County, we're for Washington Holmes County because have every, every campus has got its own name that you'll get handed out. Now, let me just tell you how you get this shirt. We're not just gonna hand them out the back doors as you leave. When you go to serve someone or some group in our community. If you want one of these shirts, we would love to give you one. And all you have to do is come by the office, we'll give you a shirt. And some people will ask, well, why don't you just give everybody a shirt? Because here's why. This is not just about wearing a shirt, okay? It's about doing something for others. Because see, you can't really say you're for someone unless you're doing something for someone. So we want to create common ground by clearly communicating to the people in our community that, hey, listen, you know, you want this to be a great place to live? Guess what? We do too. You know, you want this to be a great place to raise your kids? We do too. You want your business to thrive? We want that for you as well. That's why we're going to promote different businesses and organizations each week. Or, you know, it's like, you want schools to be great around here? We want that too. You want the parks to be clean and you want, you know, people to be served well? Absolutely. We want that too. See, we have a lot of common ground with the people in our communities. We just have to help them understand that because for far too long, the church has either had like this adversarial relationship with the people who don't go to church or they've had this non-existent relationship with the people who don't go to church. So in 2018, we want our communities to understand that we have a lot of common ground. And so as we go about creating common ground, or helping people understand that we have common ground, then we also wanna create conversations, which is part of the reason that we have just like branded this with the whole four logo, because I mean, this whole initiative, we wanna create opportunities for people to ask you, hey, what is four about? And so to do this, last week we kinda of challenged you. 
on all of our communities. Um, we, we ask you to participate in something called Pay It Backwards. Remember that? Last week, if you weren't here, we, we, we gave out these clings. And, and here's the thing. Uh, we're going to hand these out again as, as you leave the auditorium. We, we handed out these clings and we handed out these uh, four cards. Every campus has their own cards and every, every campus has their own clings. These are not magnets, so don't try to do it. Somebody struggled to try to get it on their car because they thought it was supposed to be magnetic. It's a cling. You might want to Google what that is. Okay, so anyhow, um, so our thing is this. Well, you just kind of like take this cling and put it like in the back window of your car. And then as you do, I mean, here's one way we'd ask that you kind of consider this, you know, creating conversations is, is pay it backwards. So as you go through like a drive-through, because most people go through a drive-through about once a week or whatever, just pay for the meal of the car behind you and give the person in the window, say, hey, just give them this card and say, somebody paid for it. That's why it's called pay it backwards, right? And then as you drive away, they're going to have seen this forkling and they're going to be informed by this card that somebody who is for them paid for their food and their drink. And I'm going to tell you something, folks, that's no small deal. For people to begin to understand, there are some people that are for me. And here's what's going to happen. They're, they're going to start saying, listen, somebody with a forkling, they paid for my meal. And then whenever you wear this t-shirt around the community that you live in, here's what's going to happen. It's going to be people going to ask you, what does that mean? And what it does is open a door to tell them, hey, listen, as a church at RCC, we don't want anything from you. It is why for 20-something years that we have never asked for money from our community. It's why we do not allow anybody from RCC to go out in our community and do a fundraiser. The only time we ever ask people for money is on Sunday mornings when we pass the offering buckets. Because we don't want to ever ask our communities for anything. We want to give back to our communities because we are for our community. See, we are for you. We're for our community. And so that's how you create conversations. That's how you create common ground. And by the way, um, if you weren't here, we just want you also to know if you have children and students, your children and students, they're going to be receiving these four challenges as well each week. And so we want to challenge you as parents to lean in with your children and students and help make sure that these four challenges um, get, get uh, processed and that your kids are able to live, live this out. So now you've created, you've created common ground to help people understand, hey, the church really is for us. They, they don't hate us. They're not opposed to us. And then you, you've created conversations. And then this is where the God part takes place. God begins to take that common ground and those conversations and he begins to create connections. See, here's the thing the church has lost. The church doesn't understand, has not understood for years, but is finally beginning to come back to this realization that you can never win a person to Jesus Christ that you're against. You can only win people to Jesus Christ that know that you're for them. And so God can take all those common ground, can, those conversations, and he can take those moments and then conversations and begin to shrink the gap between people and the church and between him and the people that matter to him. And that's everyone, everyone who's lost. Now, what we're asking you today is this, is that you'll help create common ground with the people in our community. That, that you'll begin to create conversations. That, and then here's the, even the bigger part, that you'll begin today to begin to pray that God will help us create connections. Because Carl Barr said it this way, he says, to clasp hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising to remove the disorder from our world. So it's through prayer and it's through doing acts of love in our community that our community is gonna understand 
that we're for them. Because here's what the church has been long, for far too long, the church has been known for what we're against. We should be known for what we are for. See, folks, this is what Acts 15, 19 is all about. We want our communities to know that we are for them. So we're going to do everything we can to remove every barrier that we can that is keeping them from God. So here's the question based upon your behavior, based upon your actions and reactions in our community so far. Here's the thing. If our church, because the church is not a building, the church is not pastor and staff, the church is all the people who call themselves followers of Christ, if our church went out of business, would the community even care or notice? But I'm telling you something, folks. Whenever a church follows of Christ, they really get a heart for the community, for people, when they sincerely want to introduce people to the love of their Heavenly Father, I'm telling you, it becomes a beautiful community partnership more than what you could ever imagine. In fact, this Friday evening, many of you on, from all of our campuses, you came together and you created a four event for some very special people. In fact, we want you to see some highlights of that event from this past Friday. Look at the side screens. Yeah, you can celebrate that. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? Yeah. You know what you just saw in that little minute and a half clip there is like, as I just said, whenever the church is for the community, when the church is truly for people and they deeply desire to introduce the people to the love of their Heavenly Father, I mean, it becomes a community partnership that just becomes beautiful in so many different kind of ways. And so this morning we're just saying, will you join us in this movement? Will you say, make a commitment to say, God, we're going to show our community that because God is for them, we are for them. Folks, I'm telling you, this is way too important. We cannot lose out on the mission of shrinking the gap between the man on the couch, whoever that represents to you, and God. And why this is such a big deal is, is this was the mission that Jesus gave us. See, it's why we do what we do, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. And you can do this by helping us do these three things, create common ground, create conversations, and create connections with people. Will you begin to pray in this moment that God will start that movement in your heart, and then we start that movement in our communities? Will you bow your heads with me in prayer on all of our campuses? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this incredible opportunity 
to grow and learn together. I pray that you just give us the heart of our Heavenly Father for this world. God, help us to really figure out how to love everyone well and how to show every person that we interact with that we are really for them. God, we've gotten this so wrong in so many different ways for so many years. And we just, we really want the world to know, um, man, we're for them because God is. And help us to make the commitment together as the body of Christ to live this out in our communities. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks. Amen.